Good morning, everyone here in person and those of you watching online. It's great to see you all. Uh, how about a hand for all of our serve teams, worship team, everyone that makes church possible. We're so thankful to all of you. And also the media team behind the scenes that makes online church possible. We're so grateful. We wouldn't be here without you. Um, and I also want to give another shout out. Yesterday we had our small group leaders summit uh, for the first time in quite a while. And so we took a groupie uh, there. And um, the, I just want to say, if you're a small group leader, these are the heroes of our church. Amen. You guys are the heroes because if it wasn't for our small group leaders who lead small groups every single week and bear the burdens of the congregation and prayer and all that kind of stuff, we would not be the church we are. So can we give a hand to all of our small group leaders who are there? Amen. And there were actually a bunch that couldn't be there, so they, they joined us online as well. And, and there's always room for you. If you feel God calling you to, to be a small group leader, we'd love to help get you connected and start off facilitating a meeting, and we'll see where that goes. But uh, we're so grateful to this amazing team. And, here, and here's one of the reasons why this is so important. It's because they dedicate every week to go above and beyond themselves to serve other people. And how many of you know that's the essence of the gospel? Jesus went above and beyond, left the comforts of heaven to come and die on the cross for us, amen? And then he calls us, if you're a Christian, to go do the same. Not to go to the cross and literally die. Thank God he already did that once and for all. But he says, I want you to live your life to make a difference in the lives of others. And that's why we say here at Pearlside that we, we, we want to make a difference by helping other people to know God, follow God, and discover their purpose as well. And so as we launch into this series, Beyond, Living Beyond Yourself, we think this is very important and appropriate, especially as we head into the holiday season. Because the holidays have a tendency to get us all to pull inward. Isn't that true? We start putting up our decorations, buying our gifts, sending out cards, planning for all the things that we got to do. And life can easily turn, instead of being outward, we start looking inward at ourselves. And I think it's the antithesis of what this season ought to be about, because Jesus came to give his life, amen? But then we turn the season into more about me, and, and, and we, we look inward. And so we want to intentionally push us to think outward, beyond ourselves, in this season, uh, because how many of us know that while this is a very joyous season for a lot of people, this is also a very difficult season for a lot of people. Can I hear an amen to that? And I think you know suicide rates go up during this season. And that may be hitting really close to home for some of you. Depression goes through the roof during this season. We have a, one of the top psychiatrists in the state here in our church. And she was telling me how concerned she is about suicide and depression just in the society. And because it goes up during the holiday season. Divorce goes up during the holiday season as well. And so while, you know, your neighbors may be playing Christmas music, we don't know what's going on in their hearts and the brokenness and the hurt and the pain. And so we want to make sure we're not just looking inward, but we're looking beyond. Amen. And we're, we're saying, how can we be a blessing to make a difference in people's lives during this time? And so we're going to take a look this morning at this parable, one of Jesus' famous parables called the parable of the talents. And this is found in Matthew chapter 25, if you want to turn there. And Jesus taught this, or he said this, in response to a question that people asked him. And the question was, what's going to happen at the end? <laughs> when are you coming back, and what's going to happen at the end of time? Or what is the end times going to look like, and what is judgment going to look like? And so Jesus told a series of parables to explain. And one of those is this parable that we're going to read here in Matthew chapter 25. Because we often want to look inward. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen in my life when I stand before the Lord? Or how is God going to judge me? And here's what Jesus often does whenever that question is asked about the end times, is he wants to push us outward. Don't worry about you. Be focused on being faithful. And that's what you're going to see. Don't worry about what's going to happen to you. Just be faithful. And if you're faithful, it's going to turn out well. But if you're not faithful, that's a whole other story, which this parable helps us to understand. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. 
He said, for it will be like a man going on a journey. For it, speaking of the end times or judgment and all that, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. If you're taking notes, you might want to underline, circle his property. We'll come back to that. To the one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. Verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once. Everyone say at once at once and traded them and made five talents more. So he put it to work. He took the master's resources, put it to work. We don't know exactly how, but he put it to work and he earned five more. Verse 17, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground, dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Notice he said the exact same thing to both of them. Verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him. And might I add in a sarcastic tone? You wicked and slothful or lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Did you? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I could have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him who from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast to the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through your word to us this morning. God, we don't want to hear, we we, we want your voice. We want your words to speak to us, whatever you want to say to us individually. We invite you to speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. This is God's word couple of principles here that I, I think it would be important to us as we journey forward. First of all, is that God has entrusted each of us with his resources to steward for his purpose. God has entrusted each of us with a certain amount of his resources to steward for his purpose, right? Remember back in verse 14, we said, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. It's God's resources that he entrusted to the servant. And part of the lesson here, or the principle here, is God has given to each of us a certain measure of his resources to steward for his purpose. It's God's. See, oftentimes we, we think that our time, our treasure, our talents, whatever resources we've been given, we think it's ours. But the Bible is very clear. No, no, no. Our very lives belong to God. Everything we are, everything we have is given to God. Another place says we live on borrowed time. This is God's time that even we have on this earth. The question is, what are we going to do with God's resources? That's one of the point of this parable. We're entrusted with his resources to steward for his purpose. So what is a steward? A steward is someone who's responsible for someone else's property, right? For, for example, those of you that have 401ks or investment accounts, you put your money into an investment account with someone to steward, right? And at the end, when we come back, we expect there to be a greater return. We expect more than what we put in, Amen. 
By the way, don't check your investment accounts right now because there might be less than what you put in. Um, so hopefully you don't need to retire anytime soon. But the expectation is whoever that money manager is, is going to steward it in such a way that there will be more at the end. You follow what I'm saying? And in a similar way, God has entrusted each of us with a certain amount of resources that in the end, he expects there to be a return. That there is something greater that is produced in our lives through the resources that he has given to us. We're stewards of God's resources. And so in this parable, Jesus uses the the term a talent. Now, let me just briefly explain what that is. To one, he gave one talent, another two, another five. A talent was a unit of measurement. It was like around 75 pounds or so. And you can measure anything by talents, right? But it later became a denomination of money, particularly in Jesus's time, with a talent being worth somewhere around 20 years wages. So it's not a small amount of money. Amen. If the average person in Hawaii makes around $60,000 a year, one talent equals about 1.2 million, two talents about 2.4, five talents about 6 million. So that's a large sum of resources entrusted to a person. And I think what God wants to say to us through that is each of us has been entrusted with a certain talent, which later became the word for talents, gifts, and abilities, to steward. And it's not a small amount. It's not a small amount. Some of us have really significant amount of talents, resources to be used. Some of us, maybe just a few, but either way, it's significant. Amen. How many of someone gave you a million, two, a million point two, one point two million dollars? You'd be like, well, how come you never give me six? Right? No, you'd be like, well, thank you. And you would run to the bank and you know, all that kind of thing. Right? But sometimes we look at what we receive and we go, oh, this is so small. I don't have the six, you know, the five talents like that person. Mine's is so small. No, in reality, the scripture is saying, no, 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 we've all been given a great amount. Again, 1.2 million, yes, please, <laughs> right? I'm not going to complain, thank you. It's, it's significant for us to steward for God. Every single one of us has a significant amount of resources from God to steward. The challenge for us is to discover what that is, and then to put it, to, how can I put it to use for God's kingdom, not just for myself? See, some of us here, we're going, man, I don't know about that. I don't think I have any talents. That was me. When I first started coming to church, I'd hear Pastor Norman and others preaching passages like this. I'd be like, you must be talking to somebody else, not to me, because I don't have any gifts and talents. I don't have any abilities to be used for God. You know, I'm, I'm a, you know, I don't know, right? And, but I remember over and over being encouraged that, no, no, God has put something in your life. You just got to discover what that is. And maybe that's you right now. You're here going, man, I don't know what possibly I could do for God. Like, what, what, what do I have? I'm not good at anything. I promise you there's something there because God's not a liar. Amen? Even if it's just one talent, that one talent is worth a lot. And if you'll put it to work, watch as God multiplies that. But here's what we often do. We say, I don't have anything, so I'm not going to do anything. So one of the things that they did, they put me in charge of kids' church when I was like in high school. Crazy, by the way. But there were only like like seven seven kids. So I remember it was in the back of Momilani cafeteria. And, and here's, here's what someone told me. He said, you're smarter than seven-year-olds, aren't you? I was like, well, that's arguable, you know? <laughs> um, but you can probably teach seven-year-olds because you're a little bit smarter than them. So just teach them whatever little more that you know. You're a little ahead of them, aren't you, in your faith? I guess, well, that's arguable. But if you're just a little ahead, then just teach whatever that little is and watch as that grows. And I did that. And my, as I did, my confidence grew. And then someone literally, true story, stuck a guitar in my hand, a chord chart, and, and, and a song and said, learn to play this song for the kids. It's like, what? I don't know how to do that. I had no musical talent that I knew of, but I just did my best. G, G. C, you know, and the great thing is the kids, they don't know. They're just like, wow, I guess this is what worship is, <laughs> <You know? laughs> but the, te- but it grew, right? But here's what often happens. We take the one talent. We say, well, how come I don't have five? And we bury it. But here's what God says. Just take whatever little you have and watch as I can use that and multiply that into other things. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I don't have any talents. Part of your, our task is to discover what that is. 
But for some of us here, you know exactly what you're good at. Some of you are like, man, I'm good at a lot of stuff. The challenge for you is going to be how do you use that for God, not just for yourself. Some of you know, man, I'm good at making money. Man, I'm good at business. Man, I'm good at music. I'm good at this and all these other things. I'm one of the best in the, in the state in that. Okay, well, how are you using it for God and for his kingdom, not just for yourself and your kingdom? That's the challenge. All of us have that, that challenge. What are we going to do with the talents that God has given to us, our time, our treasure, and our abilities? See, here, and here's the reason why. One day, God will call us to account for how we lived and stewarded our resources for God and for others. One day, God will call us to account. Verse 19, now after a long time, we don't know how long, but after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. In other words, he called them to account. And all of us one day are going to stand before the Lord and he's going, to do, he's going to measure, what did you do with what I gave to you? What did you do with the talents, the time, the treasure, the abilities that I gave to you? Did you use it for the purpose that I gave it to you, for me? Or did you use it just for yourself? To the ones who were faithful, right? The one with the five and the one with the two, they multiplied the resources, they were rewarded. We'll talk more about that in just a second. But there was that one guy who was unfaithful and he just made excuses. And let's look back at that. Verse 24, Master, I knew you were a hard man. This was his excuse, right? He came back, I only have the one because I buried it in the ground. And here was his excuse, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. Fear is his excuse. And I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you can have it back. And I, I, I was puzzled at this for a, for a long time, like, because the master's reply was, you're wicked and lazy. But his excuse was, I'm scared. So I didn't understand what that meant until I had kids. And I realized the lame excuses kids make for not doing what they're supposed to do. I come home, how come you didn't brush your teeth? I was too tired to brush my teeth. Oh, you were too tired, were you? But you weren't too tired to make a huge mess in the living room and do all the other things that you were doing all night long. But you were too tired to do a simple task of brushing your teeth. It's not that you were too tired. You just didn't want to. Let's just be honest, right? And all the parents, you know, what you, you know when your kids are making lame excuses and they just don't want to do what you ask them to do. That's what's happening here. Master, I was afraid because you were a hard man. Really? I'm a hard man? Well, then why didn't you just put it in on loan with the bankers? You'd have to do nothing. Just literally drop it off so I could have it back with interest. See, the reality is you weren't afraid. You just didn't want to do anything. So you buried it in the ground? Really? A talent, by the way, would have been a lot of money. It would have been a big deal. It would probably be a whole wheelbarrow full. So he would have had to dig a hole. I'm too tired to serve you, God. I'm too tired to do anything. I'm too busy to do anything for you, God. I'm too busy. All the while burying the thing. Now, the reality is you weren't too tired. You weren't too busy. You just didn't want to. You'd rather do your own thing. You'd rather do what you want to do rather than what God wants you to do. And that's actually the point of this passage here that we're reading. He just made an excuse. He didn't want to be faithful. He wanted to do his own deal. And isn't that the condition of all of our hearts sometimes? God, I'm too busy to serve you, but man, I, I don't Golfing? <laughs> Let's go, right? I'm too busy to live for you, God, but a trip? Let's do it. I'm too, I, 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 I can't afford to, to bless anyone or serve anyone, but I, I, I can take that cruise, no problem. No, no, listen, I don't want anyone to feel condemned. These passages are not meant to condemn us, but they're meant to reveal the condition of our hearts. And can I be honest with you? That's how I am sometimes. God, I'm too busy but I have no problem doing what I want to do. God, I'm too tired, but I have no problem stretching and waking up early or staying up late to do what I want to do. God, I don't have the resources, but I have no problem spending on myself. Come on, somebody, be honest in church. It's okay. Fire's not going to come down, all right? It's meant to reveal our heart that in reality, all of us can be like this, this slothful servant. 
and bury what God's given to us. But we have to understand, we're going to stand before God one day. And he's not going to buy the, I was too busy, I was too tired, I was too this. The reality is, he sees right through that. He says, no, you were just selfish. You're just selfish. And can I be honest with you? I'm chief selfish person in this room. Amen. And so this ought to challenge us. Okay, God, I know I'm going to stand before you one day. You've given me stuff to use. How can I use it for you? And the good news is, as we'll see in just a moment, God rewards a life faithfully lived for him. He does. But I was thinking, you know, why, why, why do we not steward God's resources properly? Sometimes it's selfishness, yes. But I also wonder if comparison comes into play. Because you know what? This dude with the one, I wonder if he looked at the dude with the five and he was like, if I had five talents, bro, I would do something for you, the master too, right? Man, if I had two talents even, I would do something. I only got one, so man, I, don't know, I can't do anything, right? And we compare. Anybody compare every now and then? Here, here, let me tell you, tell, tell you how I compare. I wish I was six foot nine, 250 pounds, and could play basketball. That's what I wish my talents were. Anybody else in this place? I wish I was LeBron James. That's his statistics, by the way. I wish I was LeBron James, and I could run through defenders, get to the hoop with no problem. I wish I could do that. I wish I was worth a billion dollars. Because, man, if I was worth a billion dollars, I would do a lot with that. But here's the temptation. I don't have those gifts. I don't have those abilities. So, well, I guess I can't really do anything, man. I guess I just got to live for myself, do my own deal, because clearly God loves other people more because he gives them more. No, 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 that's not the case. God gives each of us a certain measure to steward. LeBron James' stewardship is not my stewardship. And when I stand before the Lord, I'm not going to be held accountable and measured based off of what LeBron did with his life. I'm going to be measured with what I did with my life. And so will every single one of us in this room. But here's what culture does. And I think the devil does this too. He's like, look at what other people have. If only you had what they had, then you could really do something and be something. Here's what God says. No, no, no. Look at what you have. I've given you gifts and abilities. It may seem small, but if you use it, watch as I multiply it. Man, if you're faithful with what you got, man, I will bless that and I will reward that. But stop looking at what other people have and what you don't have and then bury what you do have. You're going to be measured, all of us, based off of what he's given to us. And if I try to chase after LeBron James's calling... Number one, I'm going to fail because I'm a five foot nine and a half Asian dude, okay? I'm not going to be as good as him. But here's what I'm, what's also going to happen. If I'm pursuing his calling, I'm going to fail to be faithful to mine. And that's often what happens. We're busy trying to live someone else's stewardship out. I want his stewardship so I can drive around in that car. Or I want her stewardship so I can live in that house. I want their stewardship so I can be famous like them. And we, we use our whole lives trying to chase after what other people have. And we are then not faithful with what God has already given to us. Our challenge is not to compare, but to say, God, what have you given me? How can I be faithful with that? And that's why we say start in the little. Just one little thing that we can do to be a blessing to someone else, to serve someone else, to use the resources we've been given to make a difference and watch as God opens up more and more doors and opportunities. And I'll share an example as we get ready to close. But I wonder why, why don't we, why aren't we good stewards? Selfishness, yeah, that's definitely in there. But I also think comparison. And maybe, maybe you're here today and that's you. You've been chasing after someone else's stewardship. You've been chasing after someone else's dream and purpose. And God wants us to look in the mirror and say, God, what do you want with this life? Because that's all we're going to be accountable to. Can I hear an amen to that? And by the way, LeBron is going to be accountable to his stewardship and what he did with it. Not just being the greatest basketball player ever, arguably. We won't get into that debate today. Um, but what did he use that for other people? Or did he just use that for himself? And LeBron, if you're watching, I'm happy to help counsel you on that. But anyway... Um, because he watches this. I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but we're all going to stand before the Lord and be measured based off of what he gave to us. Stop comparing. Amen. You already are more than enough. You already have more than enough to do what he's called you to do. Stop comparing. 
Some of us here, we're, we're saying, man, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. No, no, no. God says, I've given you more than enough. What you have is of great value. 1.2 million. If all you have is a one talent, that's a lot. Put it to use for God and watch as that multiplies. Watch as he blesses that. Can I hear an amen to that? And how we steward our lives, number three, therefore, and resources will determine our eternal reward. Here's the great thing. God loves to reward us based off of faithfulness. To the one with the five, what did his master say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And to the one with the two, he said the exact same thing. Notice he didn't say, hey, you with the five, you're way better than the dude with the two. You get more. No, the same reward. Because it wasn't about what they did. It was about the heart of faithfulness. See, that's also where the comparison comes in. Well, they do more than I do. They produce more than I produce, so I must be worth less. No, 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 that's not true at all. You're worth exactly the same to God. The same reward, because it's about a heart of faithfulness, not what we can produce. Can I hear an amen to that? Because, listen, we're not measured based off of what we produce for God. We're measured based off of our heart for God. Not what we produce for God, but our heart for God. And by the way, that was the the one-talent guy's problem. He didn't care about the master. He just wanted to live for himself. He was faithless rather than faithful. And that was his issue. That was the problem. So every day I pray the same prayer. Almost every single day I pray, Lord, just help me to be faithful today. When I'm driving to work, God, just help me to be faithful. When I'm going to bed at night, God, just help me to be faithful. And I hope I was faithful to you today. And I think just that simple prayer might change our paradigm. Because again, the world tells us, how can you get more, achieve more, gain more? But here's what God says, how can you be faithful today? How can I be faithful today? Maybe that's the prayer you might want to start praying in your life. God, how can I be faithful with my career as a teacher? How can I be faithful with my business that you've entrusted me to? How can I be faithful with this family that you've called me to steward? If you're a coach, how can I be faithful with the team that I get to coach? You get my point. How can I be faithful with what you've given me? And watch as God shows you. Because he's not out to trick us. You know, like you're doing your best in life. I'm trying to be faithful. And you get to the end and God's like, oh, wrong. (laughs) That was wrong. (laughs) You're out. He's not like that. He's not out to trick us. He's out to guide us every step of the way. But here's what often happens, and I'm guilty of it. I don't ask. I just go do my thing because I think this is what I want. I want to achieve this. I want to gain that. Amen. That's how the world is. And we cease to seek God. How do you want me to use this for you and for other people? This verse here in Mark chapter 8, I think is sobering. Because Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For For whoever would save his life will lose it. Or in other words, whoever would hold on to it. This is my life. I'm going to live it my way. I'm going to hold on to it. This, these are my rights. This is how I want my life to be. And we hold on to it. Whoever would save their life will lose it in the end. But whoever loses his life gives away their life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What is the point? Our resources are for the kingdom of God and for the gospel to be proclaimed in the world. Can I hear an amen to that? That's why he gave us the resources. Now, we get to enjoy the residual benefits. You get to live in the house we live in. We get to, all that kind of stuff. But the point is not to, it's not about us. It's about giving it away to be a blessing to others. That's the whole point of, of Christianity. Verse 36, for what does it profit a man, or a woman, by the way, it's meant to be gender neutral, but what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So we can chase after the whole world. We can chase after all the riches in the stuff, but in the end, lose everything. And what good is that? What good is it that you drive a $200,000 car and live in a $5 million mansion and have, you know, a billion dollars in the bank? What good is that if you lose everything in the end? But that's often what happens when we seek so hard to hang on to my rights and my stuff, and it's about me and my trips and my this. God says, no, 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 you get to have that, but turn outward. 
Live beyond yourself. And watch as I bless that. Verse 37, for what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Please don't feel condemnation in this moment, but maybe a bit of conviction. Because every time I read passages like this, I get convicted. Because I realize how easy it is that we start living for ourselves. And this is a reminder, I think a friendly reminder from the Spirit. Hey, no, no, let's live beyond. Amen? It's not about you. It's not about your stuff. You'll be rewarded one day. But for now, while we're here, it's about helping as many people come to know Jesus. Because all of this can be over in a moment. Man, if one of those North Korea missiles actually makes it somewhere, life as we know it will be over. You realize that, right? If any one of those or any one of the bad actors in the world does what they threaten to do, we're not going to care about renovating our house anymore. We're not going to care about our golf score. We're not going to care about the trips that we want to go on. None of that's going to matter. We're not going to care about what schools our kids go to. All that's going to matter is the people in our lives, survival, and where we're going to spend eternity. It's all that's going to matter. But yet the devil gets us so distracted with all this stuff and we get so focused that we gain the whole world that we lose everything that really matters. Jesus, don't be like that. I gave you these talents to be a blessing, to be a blessing so that whenever this life ends, however it ends, we don't know, there's a reward on the other side. Amen? There's something waiting for us on the other side, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because we don't know. All the plans that we make could be totally pointless. If any one of the myriad of things happens in life, live for what really matters. Amen? Not this life, but the, but the one that is to come. And so we don't want to live for rewards. <laughs> okay, that's very selfish. Hey, why do you do good deeds? Because I want rewards. Yeah? Why do you serve? Why do you bless people? Why do you go on campus? Oh, because I want a reward in heaven. Okay, that's a very selfish way of living. We don't do that. But here's the thing. We do it because God loves us. But when life gets hard, because it does, how many of you in the process of doing good and trying to serve, it's gotten hard? It's me right here. It gets hard, man. It's hard to live a life that's faithful to God. When it gets hard, it's sure good to know that there's a reward on the other side. That if I don't get everything that I want in this life, it's okay, because there's more. Therefore, I can continue to be faithful. And God is a generous God. He loves to reward his kids. I love blessing my kids. Christmas time coming around, I love to get them what they want. But here's what I can't do. I will not reward bad behavior, bad character, and an unfaithful life. I actually had to withhold from my kids recently because of some stuff that they did. I'd be a bad parent if I blessed them in the midst of their sin, right? I have to with, and I hate doing that. And you hate doing that too. God hates doing that. He wants to bless. But what he's not going to bless is an unfaithful life. He doesn't. He doesn't. So this is a reminder to us. Let's be faithful because at the end of it all, that's what matters. Faithfulness to God. Last point here in our notes. God is faithful. I love that. He's faithful first to us and will reward a life lived to love and serve himself, God and others. He will reward. Look at what Hebrews chapter 6 says. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown in his name in serving the saints. God is not unjust and he will not overlook the sacrifices that we make to be a blessing to other people, how we serve other people. He will not. And at the end of the day, what God rewards is how we live to serve others. At the end of the day, that's what matters. You realize we can't take our cars with us to heaven. We can't take our 401ks to heaven. We don't take our houses to heaven. We don't take anything of this material world with us. But yet, that's what we live for. And God is reminding us, don't live for that. Because the only thing that lasts forever are the souls of the people that we've touched. That's the only thing that goes to heaven with us. And that lives forever. What are we doing to make a difference in the lives of people? 
Our job on earth is to live to help as many people as possible hear the gospel and get to heaven. Because at the end of the day, all of this is going to fade away. All of it. All that matters is where we stand with God and our faithfulness to him. And I want to be clear, we don't earn our way to heaven if we receive the gift of God's grace. But he does reward us based off of our faithfulness. And when life gets hard, it's good to know that our God is faithful and will reward. One of my favorite examples of this, and I think a great example of just a, just a, just a God-loving, God-fearing person, is Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow. How many of you know, remember Tim Tebow? Tim Tebow is a, was an NFL quarterback. He played about three seasons in the NFL. He won two national championships at Florida, as well as a Heisman Trophy. Uh, during his career uh, in the NFL and, 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 and in college, he was most known for his outspoken Christian faith and for Tebowing. How many of you remember the famous Tebowing, where Tim would get down on the field when he's not there, and, and people began to ask him, Tim, what are you doing, you know, taking that knee on the field? What are you kneeling for? And he said, well, I'm, I'm praying. People didn't like that. They didn't like to hear that. But he, he used his platform every chance he had to talk about his faith in Jesus Christ. And he was unashamedly and unabashedly outspoken about his faith in Christ. And that got him a lot of hate. And he became the butt of a ton of jokes. In fact, T-bowing became a meme. People started T-bowing in the streets, um, you know, T-bowing in trees. You know, people were T-bowing. Kids were T-bowing, you know, on basketball teams and other places. And even, even dogs started T-bowing. I don't know if you knew that. But, but he became the butt of a ton of jokes. You know, because let's be honest, he wasn't Joe Montana or Tom Brady. And he wasn't going to be a great NFL quarterback. But he used his platform every chance he had to be a blessing to others. And so you would see people just mocking his playing. He's not that great. He's terrible. Tim Tebow's the worst quarterback ever. I mean, it was just it was all kinds of hate. But here's what Tim did. He never responded with anger or vitriol. And very quietly behind the scenes, he just started the Tim Tebow Foundation. He started this foundation where he used the platform he was given, the resources that he had to bless others. I just want to highlight a couple of things. I'm not shilling for the Tim Tebow Foundation, by the way. But he started a ministry to special needs kids, all while people are mocking him, by the way. He said, I'm just going to continue doing good. He started a ministry to special needs kids where he put on a prom every single year for, for children with special needs to make them feel special. But maybe the world doesn't think that they're valuable. Tim said, I want to make them feel special. And every year, about fifty to 90,000 kids across the country came to this prom. Tebow himself would show up often and dance with, dance with people and just, just to show value. I remember one time, there was this one critic, it probably was Stephen A. Smith or somebody, talking about how bad Tebow is as a quarterback. It popped up on my Facebook feed, and I kept scrolling, and I realized, and then the next thing is Tim Tebow serving special needs kids. I said, I don't care what you think, Stephen A., because this man is using his platform for God. He did that special, he has a ministry to special needs. Then he started a ministry to helping orphans to find adoption, the least fortunate. The hardest situation, he, would, he started, his foundation started investing in helping kids get adopted and placed in, fam- in families. And, and those of you that have tried to adopt, you know it's an expensive process. He helped to fund adoptions so that people could find homes and families can be put together. He also built a hospital in Davao in the Philippines. And his foundation did all of that. And he, wants to, he started caring for kids in, in, in hospitals all across the country. They opened up these different, different centers and rooms to care for kids and their families as they're suffering through the hardest moments of their lives. All while being criticized by the public, he said, I'm going to keep on serving and I'm going to keep on being faithful. And more recently, he started, uh, his, his foundation started working against human trafficking, sheltering victims, helping them to get rehabilitated off the streets and put back together. And I just found this out. He started auctioning off his Heisman Trophy every year. And he's raised to date over a million dollars that he gives away to charity. 
where the world says collect trophies, Tebow's giving his away to be a blessing to others. Where we're all trying to accumulate more for ourselves, Tim's giving all of his stuff away to be a blessing to other people. And I just said, wow, that is a picture, I think, of what this parable is teaching. What are we doing with the resources God's given us? What are we doing with the stuff? Are we just using it to build our own lives and collect trophies for ourselves, or are we using it for God's purpose? And here's the thing. When, when T- Tim Tebow stands before the Lord one day, I'm sure there's going to be a massive reward because he used his life, his platform, took so much hate for it to proclaim the gospel and the goodness of Christ all around the world. And I want to close with this clip. It's of Tim Tebow sharing a little bit of his heart and what motivates him to use his life to be a blessing to others. And I hope it motivates us to say, okay, what have you given me, God? What resources, what opportunities, what time, treasure, and talents, and how can I use it to be a blessing, knowing full well that our God is a faithful God and rewards us as we do. Take a look at this as we get ready to close. When I was at the University of Florida for every home game, we would get in the bus at our hotel and we would drive right by the stadium and we would stop at what's called the Gator Walk. And every game I played there, there was probably 20 to 40,000 fans at this Gator Walk ready to greet us as we get off the bus. I would see all these people. I got to tell you, there were a lot of voices that started to hit me. One of the first voices that instantly hit me was, was pride and arrogance. Because I would look out and I would see thousands of jerseys with my number on it. I would look out and I would see Bible verses that they were wearing because I wore them. And so for a second you thought, dang, I'm something. They're here for me. This is pretty cool. I must be somebody. There's a picture that I stumbled across. And it's one of Time's 100 most influential images of all time. And it's the picture of this young girl. She's on her way from her village to a feeding center not far away. And she's so malnourished and she's moving so slow that this vulture is waiting to attack. So the young man that took this picture, I think there was probably something in his heart that he, he wanted to do good, he just, he wasn't sure, so, so he, he captured this picture and he just waited and, and then the vulture got closer, so he kind of shooed the vulture off and then he walked away and the vulture would come right back. And he was told, because of some of the sicknesses in the areas, don't touch anybody, don't do anything, and so he didn't. He didn't. He did nothing. Because apparently the cost was too much. So he left. He went back. The New York Times published this photo in 1993. In 94, he won the Pulitzer Prize for this photo. Four months after this, 
he chose to end his life. You see, every single one of us, we have a chance to be successful in life. And you know what? I hope you are. I really do. I I hope you're successful. There's nothing wrong with being successful. But success is just about you. But significance is about other people. You see, that man that took that picture, he had success. That's one of the greatest honors a photographer could ever have. But obviously it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. So what's going to be enough for you? You see, success is great. You can do a lot of things with it. But it's not going to be fulfilling. And you can never forget that sense of urgency that it's not about your timeline, it's about their timeline. While you might have 30, 40, 50 years, they have days, minutes, moments. She had moments, but it wasn't worth it to go pick her up. It wasn't worth it to give her a hug. It wasn't worth it to tell her about the gospel. Yeah, I won a Pulitzer Prize, but what does it matter? What does it matter? It doesn't. And I think the greatest tragedy in life is we're going to look back one day and say, I was successful in things that don't matter. I want you to be successful. But more than anything, I want you to be significant. And when you live for Jesus and you love people, I believe you're going to have a life of significance. Amen. Amen. And that's why I love Tim Tebow. He wasn't successful in the world's eyes as a quarterback. He's still the butt of many jokes. But man, is he significant. Man, is he significant. And all of us have opportunities to use whatever little moments we have to be significant in God's eyes, to use the resources that we've given, the time, the treasure, and the talent, not for ourselves, but for other people. But oftentimes, we walk by. We just walk on by. We could stop, we could help, we could pick that person up, we could share the gospel in that moment, we could encourage in that moment, we could stop and and really say, how are you doing, and sit down and really listen, but we just walk on by. We could shoo the vultures away, but we say, no, that's, that's, that's too hard, it's too difficult, and we just walk on by. We're given those opportunities every single day in little ways, maybe in big ways. My challenge to us today, I believe God's challenge to every single one of us is, what are we doing with the time that we have? Are we using it for ourselves to be successful or to be significant in someone's life for the kingdom of God? And here's again why we do it. Because Jesus did that first for us. Amen? He shooed the vulture of sin and death away from our lives. He picked us up and he carries us home. He nurtures us and will carry us into eternal life in heaven one day. We love, Scripture reminds us, because he first loved us. But we can't take that and just walk on by the opportunities and the situations that God places in our lives. We can't say, I don't have what what other people have, so I'm going to do nothing. No, no, we have to do something. We all can do something. Amen? We don't have to do what Tim Tebow's doing, but all of us have a stewardship. What are we doing with our lives? And as we do it, as we say, God, help me to find areas that I can be used by you, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to be faithful. He's going to point these things out. And as we do, I'm confident he's going to pour on that. He's going to multiply it. And we're not just going to be successful. We're going to be significant here on this life 
but also in the life that is to come. Can I hear an amen to that? Can I pray for us this morning, Father?